turn to the book of Psalms and Psalm 119. We have been for now several months in Psalm 119 and uh, tonight is the conclusion of our study on this psalm and as we look at this last section and beginning in verse 169 we're going to consider some things that have been kind of some recurring themes throughout uh, the psalm, but I think it's important to really examine these because the fact that they are recurring themes ought to tell us that there uh, is some real importance and value there. And also, this is the way that the psalmist chose to end this particular psalm. And so, uh, we're going to begin reading in verse number 169 of Psalm 119. As it says here, let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. Give me understanding according to thy word. Let my supplication come before thee. Deliver me according to thy word. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. Let thine hand help me, for I have chosen thy precepts. I have longed for thy salvation, O Lord, and thy law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise thee, and let thy judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant, for I do not forget thy commandments. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into these last verses of this important and powerful psalm, would you help us to see the need and the burden of the psalmist's heart and even look within tonight and see our need for you and for your help. May we be encouraged and strengthened and challenged by your word tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I told you at the beginning that there are going to be some kind of recurring themes here. And I think as he uh, kind of concludes this psalm, we could almost say that there's a bit of a summary that's taking place here. Because, because again, these things that, have been sp uh, that are being spoken have been spoken for the most part throughout the previous uh, verses and the previous pages of the psalm that we have read and studied together. But I want you to notice that he he opens this section of the psalm with a concern. It's a concern that's been reiterated at least three other times in this psalm. And he says, let my cry come near before thee, O Lord. He says in verse 170, let my supplication come before thee. This psalm is a prayer to God. And it's primarily a prayer to God uh, about the psalmist's love for his word. Yet in the midst of that, he interjects times uh, at times his burden, his distress that he finds himself in, his affliction, and even his cry to the Lord for deliverance and for help. But now as he is concluding this psalm, he, he in the first two verses makes it very clear that he is asking God, Lord, please hear my cry. You know, if we really think about that, it's, uh, there's not a lot of importance or value uh, in a prayer that goes no higher than the ceiling, is there? I mean, we, we talked just the other night about Jesus 
uh, encouraging and, and really commanding his disciples not to pray with vain repetitions. He said for the people that do that, think that they'll be heard for their much speaking. The implication is they're not being heard for that. And and Jesus is saying avoid praying in such a way that you're not going to be heard by God. And so here uh, the psalmist is saying uh, with all of these things going on and all of the the passions and and burdens and needs of my heart and the uh, expressions of love, I'm just asking Lord above all else, hear me, let my... Cry, let my prayer, my supplication come before thee. Now, I, I just want to say it's important for us to understand as Christians that God sees and hears everything that we do. Uh, I, I was talking to some young people today and encouraged them about the fact that in Psalm 139, the psalmist makes it very clear there that God knows everything about us, even our thoughts. From afar off, I mean, before the thoughts ever even come into our mind, God knows them. He knows our down-sitting and our uprising. God knows everything about us. And so it's not as though God does not hear audibly or understand that we are praying. But I do want you to know that there are prayers that God does not receive, if I can put it that way. Now, that may seem strange to you because we say, well, you know, God's always listening and God's always ready to hear and ready to answer. But I want you to know, uh, when God does not hear our prayer in the sense of, of receiving it, it is not because he is unwilling to listen to our needs and to respond accordingly, but it is actually because in each of the situations that we would pray and God would not hear us, we actually find there's something not right between us and God. For instance, in James chapter 4, uh, James told the, 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 the believers there, he said that there are times that you ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. In other words, when you're praying, your prayers are selfish and self-motivated and they're not really aligned with the will of God for your life. You're just trying to get your way and God doesn't, that, that's not how God works. He's not a, a genie in a bottle that just answers at our every whim. He's God. He's the ruler of the universe. So there is a right way and a wrong way to come to God. But I want to show you a couple other things that can actually be hindrances in our prayer life. Go back with me here in Psalms. Go back to chapter 66. Psalm 66. And notice what David here says. He says in Psalm 66 and verse number 18... If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, what what is he saying? What does it mean to regard iniquity in your heart? It has this idea of I am coming to God with a desire or a need, but in my heart something is not right between me and God. I know that that is there, but I am unrepentant over that issue. Uh, I, I, uh, on my way to work, I got cut off by someone and I cursed them out and I got angry. And then I went to work and, and my boss asked me why I was late and I told him a lie. And then I was on my way home and I happened to notice uh, uh, someone walking down the street and I was uh, attracted to that person. I lusted after that person in my heart. I came home and I got into an argument with my spouse 
and I yelled at the kids. And, and, and I've got this underlying pride in my life. And these things are there and I know about these things. I'm not willing to deal with those things. I'm not willing to confess that sin and make things right with God. But I, when it comes to a time of need, I certainly am ready to go to God and ask for him to help me. But God's not going to hear me because he's looking at me and saying, uh, I think there's some other business we need to deal with first. There's some other sins here that have taken place that need to be dealt with and there needs to be confession. And listen, speaking to God, this is a relational thing, is it not? If one of my sons decides to disobey and disregard something I've said to him and he rolls his eyes at me and talks back to me and he walks into his room and slams the door shut, we don't let that stuff go on at our house. We don't, we, that stuff doesn't go undealt with, okay? But let's just say that that happened. And for whatever reason, I just kind of let it go. And again, I don't do that. But if, if we did, and then later that day, he came to me and he said, Hey, Dad, I really need a new pair of shoes. I think I'd look at him and say, Really? That's all you have to say to me? Isn't there something else that we should be talking about here? Because there's something hindering our relationship. I don't just exist as someone who is here to supply all of your needs. I mean, yes, I do that. But I'm also here as your father. We're to have a relationship. And something you have done has hindered that relationship. We need to fix that first. Friend, I want you to know when you come to God and you come before the throne of God, you ought to have a humility about you that says, Lord, Whatever it is in my heart that I have done or that I am maintaining and just regarding iniquity in my heart, I'm even considering that, that this is okay. Lord, I need to confess that and get that right with you because first and foremost, things need to be right between me and you. And I think that there's an element of that uh, in, the, in the tone of the psalmist here in Psalm 119 where he's saying, let my cry come before you. It's this understanding if I'm not careful, it could be that I'm praying these things and God's not even hearing. And Lord, search me and try me and show me if there's something that would hinder my prayer life. There's another thing I want to show you that can hinder your prayer life. If you go over to the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 3, something that God specifically says, a specific problem that God tells us can actually hinder our prayers. 1 Peter 3. Now the first six verses of this chapter are an admonition to wives and the way that they ought to treat their husbands and be in subjection, submission to them and follow the leadership of their husbands. But when we come to verse number seven, I want you to notice what this says. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, if we just stop there for a moment, there's kind of a running joke among men, is there not? That we don't understand what a woman is thinking. And we, we kind of laugh about that and we joke about it because the truth is that we think differently and sometimes I don't understand why my wife is thinking a certain way. As I'm sure she doesn't think I'm, you know, understand why I'm thinking a certain way. But we can joke about that and say, oh, you're never going to figure out what your wife is thinking. or what. But listen, God said dwell with them according to knowledge. You better work at it. You better figure out the needs of your wife, men. 
Likewise, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Notice it doesn't say the weaker sex, as some people would say. It says the weaker vessel. It has the idea that it is that 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 uh, something that is potentially fragile and yet of great value. Giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Listen to this: that your prayers be not hindered. So, husband, if you are not dwelling with your wife according to knowledge, your prayer life is going to be negatively affected. You might say, well, what, if I don't understand everything about my wife, then God's not going to listen to me? No, listen to this. If things aren't right in your marriage relationship, don't think that things are going to be right between you and God. If things aren't right, if, if at least on your part you have not done everything that you can to try to maintain a right relationship with your spouse and fulfill the role that God has given to you, it will affect your relationship to God. Husbands, you cannot be short with your wife and inconsiderate and unkind and turn around and pray to God and God is just okay with that. Wives, you can't be in rebellion against the leadership of your husband and pray to God and expect that God is okay with that. Something's out of order. And God expects that you're going to seek to get that right. And he even says, if you don't, your prayers are going to be hindered. So it is a possibility in a reality that sometimes people pray and their prayers are ineffective because something's not right with God. And so the psalmist here is saying, Lord, I, I'm, I'm praying to you, I'm crying to you. These are needs of my heart, but I, I'm really concerned. I really want to be sure that you're hearing me. And I don't think he's just saying, Lord, ignore the iniquity in my heart and ignore the relationship problems and ignore that these prayers are, uh, are to consume these things upon my lust. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, Lord, I want to be right with you so that I can be confident that you're hearing what I'm saying. I want to know that when I get up off of my knees from praying, that God has heard me. Don't you want to know that? Don't you want to know that it wasn't just vain and empty words that went into the air, but you say, Lord, please hear me. Hear me. So there's a concern. But then he, he also speaks of a need for clarity. I want you to notice at the end of verse 169, not only did he say, let my cry come near before thee, but he said, give me understanding according to thy word. Look at verse 171, my lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. In other words, what he's saying is, Lord, I need your help to understand your word. Now, this is ironic, maybe, if you've read the rest of the chapter. Because the rest of the chapter is about how this psalmist delights himself in the Word of God. He reads the Word of God. He meditates in the Word of God. He praises the Lord seven times a day for His Word. I mean, this isn't a guy who has never been around the Bible. 
This isn't someone who's taking a fresh look and has never looked into this before. This is someone who has immersed himself in the word of God and has made this uh, more valuable and more precious to him than gold or silver or anything else. And yet, as he's closing out this psalm, he says, Lord, I need you to teach me your word. Isn't that interesting that even those of us who maybe have been studying the Bible for many, many years still need God's help. We still need God's illumination. Folks, I will tell you, I would be a, a, a liar and a hypocrite if I told you that I understand everything that is written in these pages. I don't. And, and, and sometimes I look at a passage and I go, well, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say about that. And sometimes I look at a passage and I, it's like I can say, Lord, I, I see that there's something here. I, I want to see it, but I just can't quite see it. Have you ever been there? We need God's help. We need his illumination. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and open our understanding. I want to show you a few places that would indicate that this is true. We're in Psalm 119, but look at verse 18 of the same chapter as the psalmist here, and of course we looked at this many weeks ago, but he says, open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, I need you to open my eyes. I, I, I need you to help me to see it. And then go over with me, if you would, to the New Testament in the book of Luke. Luke 24, we find a couple interesting things happen here after the resurrection of Jesus. Now let me tell you, I, I've always found it fascinating when you read about Jesus and his disciples and how Jesus very clearly and plainly, I mean, not in parables or in, in some obscure language, but very plainly told them that he was going to go to Jerusalem, that he would be killed, and that he would rise again three days later. I mean, several times we see him clearly saying that. And yet somehow the disciples missed it. <laughs> And it really wasn't until after the resurrection that they went, oh, he did say that, didn't he? Well, here we find Jesus has gone to the cross. He's been crucified. He's now risen again. <clears throat> and it's beginning to get around to disciples and followers of Christ that he, at least that the tomb is empty. Okay? And so there are two men, uh, two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking about these things that are happening and, and, and they're troubled about this and Jesus just shows up and starts talking to them. It's great. And somehow Jesus himself is right there with them and they missed it. <laughs> they knew they were talking to someone but it was like they were so convinced that Jesus was dead and never coming back they, they couldn't believe this was him. So look at verse number 25. Then he said unto them, O fools... And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? Yeah, Isaiah 53 pretty well said that, didn't it? And to enter into his glory. And then listen to this. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets. So from the writings of Moses, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded unto them... In all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would, would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening. 
and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and break and gave it to them. And listen to this. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? These weren't people that were ignorant of the Bible. These were people who were well taught and well versed in the Bible. But what they even said was that when Jesus was talking to them, what he was doing was opening to them the scriptures. He was giving them the understanding that for some reason they had read it before, but they missed it. And so he had to open their understanding. So then we go ahead a little bit in the same chapter. In verse number 36, now he is appearing to the, the, his apostles, his, uh, his disciples... And verse uh, 36 says, And as they uh, thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that, uh, that it is myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands eat. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Listen to verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Even his apostles did not fully understand what Jesus told them and what the Old Testament scriptures clearly taught. Now listen, we're not talking about some strange, you know... Uh, Cipher. You've got to, uh, you know, find this. The, the the Bible's written in code, and you've got to figure out, you know, all the different numerology and all of these things. And if you if you add these numbers up, you kind of uh, find a hidden message there. That's not what we're talking about at all. The Word of God is plain and it's open, and God has revealed truth to us. The problem is, our hearts are hardened by. Sin and unbelief. And it causes us, honestly, to miss things that have always been there plain as day. And this is why it's so important. This is why every time you read your Bible, we always say it, right? You can read through it over and over and over. You're always going to learn something new. You're going to see something. you haven't. It's always fresh. Because hopefully you're growing in the Lord. And as you're growing in Him, He is opening your understanding. And giving you not just intellectual knowledge, but actual spiritual understanding of, wow, yes, this is true. I mean, it's true in my life. It's true in their life. I can, I can see it now. God opens our understanding. One more place as we're here in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would. 2 Corinthians 3. And this is a reference specifically to the nation of Israel. But I think that... We need to remember that sometimes we have the same problem if we're not careful. 
2 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 12. Paul says here, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. In other words, when we speak, we try and make it as clear and obvious and plain as we can. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Now, he's referring to when Moses came off the mountain after spending 40 days and 40 nights with God, and his face was literally shining. There was glory coming out of him. His face was shining so much so that the, the, the children of Israel couldn't even look at him. They had to put a veil over his face. And he's using this to give an illustration because he says in um, verse number, where did I leave off here? Verse number 14, but their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. In other words, here's what he's saying. And this is not um, a racist or prejudiced statement, okay? But this is a spiritual truth. The Jewish people who are God's chosen people, to whom Jesus came. He was born and lived as a Jew. He came to his own. They rejected their Messiah. They rejected the Christ, Jesus. You talk to a Jew today, a practicing, believing Jew, and they will tell you that they're still waiting for the Messiah to come. They've missed him. He came to them, and they've missed him. But because they rejected their Messiah, the Bible teaches us that there is a veil on their heart that is actually concealing truth from them. They can read the Bible like you and I can, but there is something in the way. Paul described it, really he's quoting Jesus talking to him, but he described it as, as Satan blinding the minds of them which believe not. They're blinded. This veil is on their heart. To where they can, listen, if you've got a question about Jewish history, ask a Jew. <laughs> Bible history, I mean Old Testament history, ask a Jew. They've, they've, they, know, they know the Old Testament. I mean, they've got, they've got facts. You, you can talk to kids, Levi's age over here, that can quote large portions of, of, of the Torah, you know, the Old Testament. They, can, they know the Old Testament. But there is a veil of unbelief on their heart to where they cannot see the truth. But notice what it says here in verse 15. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Something that's really great news, the people of Israel... The Jews, they're still God's chosen people. And there is a day of redemption coming for them. When the Lord turns not just their understanding, but turns their heart back toward him. 
And when their heart is turned to the Lord, that veil is going to be taken away. And they're going to see what they have missed. Now here's the principle that I want to bring out, because most of us aren't Jews here. We're Gentile believers. What is necessary for Israel's understanding to be opened is that their heart would turn to the Lord. I don't believe it's any different for you and for me. If we really want to know and understand the word of God and we say, Lord, would you, would you show me your truth? All you have to do is turn your heart to the Lord. Give your heart to him. He'll, he'll open your understanding. He'll give you truth. But the psalmist says, Lord, I, I need you to reveal truth to me. Very quickly as we go back to Psalm 119. He speaks of his concern that the Lord would hear him. He speaks of his need for clarity. Then he speaks of his commitment. He says in verse number 171. My lips shall utter praise when thou hast taught me thy statutes. My tongue shall speak of thy word. For all thy commandments are righteousness. Lord Here's what I know. I love your word so much. When you teach me something, when you show me something, I won't be able to help but speak of it and praise you for it. Now something I just want to mention about that, just briefly. He's confident that when God shows him truth, his response will be praise to the Lord and testimony to other people. I believe... That this is true of everyone who loves God's word. Our conversation, if we truly love the word of God, our conversation will be saturated with the word of God. Uh, personally, I'm encouraged when I hear Christians having a conversation with each other about the Bible. Whether it's asking a question, hey, what do you think about this or that? Or if it's, hey, you know what, the Lord really used this to encourage me or to help me. I just think it's a healthy thing. Listen, I believe that our fellowship with one another, even though, yes, we can benefit from friendships, and I'm thankful that we can sit and talk about sports and, and hobbies and, and family and, and all of those everyday things, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I believe that the purpose of fellowship is really to help one another grow in the Lord. And we ought to be talking about the things of the Lord. When we're together, we, we should be talking about the Bible. We should be talking about what God is doing in our lives. This is what the psalmist is saying. I, 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 I'm just confident that, Lord, when you show me something, when you open my understanding and you teach me your word, I'll talk about it. It's going to come out of me. Friend, I think there, it'd be wise for us to consider, you know, how often, how frequently do I really talk to people about the Word of God? How frequently do I, is, is that part of my conversation? That may be an indication of just how committed we are really to it. And then lastly, I want you to notice, it's so interesting to me. He spent this 175 verses, basically, uh, not pridefully or boastfully bragging, but honestly testifying of his integrity and his testimony as a follower of the Lord, as someone who loves the word of God. But he chooses to close out the psalm, his very last verse, by acknowledging his sin and his failure. Look what he says, I have gone astray 
like a lost sheep. You see, even a righteous person, even someone who loves the Lord, even someone who is in the word of God, because we are still in the flesh, you know what? We have a tendency and a propensity for drifting away from the Lord, don't we? We sing that song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And what, what, what is the last verse of the song? <laughs> Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And truthfully, if you've been saved for any length of time at all, you understand that. There's a heart that says, Lord, I love you. I want to know you. I want to follow you and obey you. But there's still that old sinful flesh that's pulling us away. And so he says, I've wandered astray like a, like a lost sheep. I, I've, I've, I've just, I've left. I don't know if he's referring to in this specific moment. Or if he's just referring to in general. This is something that he does occasionally. But notice what he says to the Lord. Seek thy servant. You know... I think the difference between a saved person and a lost person is a saved person will sin. But our desire is that the Lord would come and bring us back, even if that requires some chastening. Lord, Lord I, I, I don't want to be away from you. I'll fail, I'll sin, but don't let me wander very far. <laughs> Seek thy servant. Notice what he says. For I do not forget thy commandments. A true believer in Christ desires restoration. And so really when we conclude this psalm. And we've seen throughout the course of this psalm. This exaltation of the word of God. And this uh, expression of the psalmist's integrity. And the the... the the oppression of those who are afflicting him and all of these things. But in this last section of the psalm, did you notice a common thread between all of these things? The psalmist is acknowledging his weakness and need for God. Lord, I'm weak and I need you to hear me. Lord, I'm weak and I need you to open my understanding of your word. Lord, I'm weak, and I need you to draw me back to yourself. And he really is speaking of his condition before God, isn't he? His need for God. So in all of these things, we wrap up this powerful psalm with the psalmist. Basically, we could summarize it by saying this, Lord, I need you. I need you. And so tonight, I just want to encourage all of us to really consider how much we need God. We need Him in our prayer life. We need Him to search us and to make sure that we're right with Him. We need Him to open our understanding when we open the Bible and try to draw near to Him. And we need Him when we go astray to correct us and chasten us and bring us back to himself because we love him and we want to be right with him.